everyone, and welcome. This is episode 267 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Network. I am James, back this week again with the whole gang, uh, Paul and Ryan. And, you know, I think your guys' reverse jinx keeps working because you spent last week talking about how the Brewers didn't sign anybody, and now they signed someone. So that's nice. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we just had, like, transaction palooza in general going on, so we've... We sat and had like nothing to discuss for many, many weeks. And then all of a sudden now we had what four transactions this week, three of them involving the major league roster. So I, I do feel like the universe went, well, we can't do quality. So let's just dump quantity on them for that. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So we'll talk about all of that this week and uh, lots of questions about that. But first, a reminder, as always, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. Two bucks a month guarantees you get your questions answered both on this podcast and on reporting as eligible as the Packers go for a playoff spot as we record this tonight. And we'll see what happens there. But plenty of questions probably to come out of that game. Uh, Five bucks a month at patreon.com gets you question priority plus some additional exclusive content that includes the minor league extra with ryan and james anderson of rotowire uh so as i mentioned right off the top there last week brad westness one of our patrons asked last week whether the brewers would sign their first major league free agent immediately after you guys recorded last week's podcast or the day after and it appears it wasn't that far off the brewer signed wade miley on january 4th a couple of days after you guys talked about that so it's a one-year deal reported to be about four and a half million dollars this is kind of what you guys had in mind when we were talking about that move they would eventually make, right, Ryan? I mean, I thought it was going to be a hitter. I, I still think they're going to end up signing somebody who can, like, hit the ball from the right side in the outfield. I still think that's, like, the, their most glaring need. But they definitely have beefed up the the pitching depth, which was, I, I think, coming into the offseason, priority number one, and it became less of a priority as they had already done quite a number of things to improve the pitching depth. So I think that, you know, this, it, it's not like a shock or anything, but it wasn't exactly what I was thinking, but it was going to be something on a one-year deal, right? Like that was, that was the general direction that this was going to have to go because there just really aren't like multi-year players left for the most part. Yes. We we mentioned I think I specifically mentioned last week that they would sign someone along the lines of Mike Mustakis that that that's the kind of player you would end up with and Ryan then joked well maybe it'd be Mike Mustakis because he's out there and Wade Molly is kind of a Mike Mustakis of pitchers so I'm I'm down with that I think we that's pretty much correct this is what you're getting at this point um, and that's fine you're gonna get depth guys that you've maybe heard of and uh, that's per- that's exactly what Wade Miley is he's even been on the team before <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah, like there is a fan servicey element to this where it, people are familiar with Miley and have he, people have a positive remembrance of him because he was better than what people were expecting him to be the last time he was with the team. So that leaves, you know, the good taste in people's mouths as opposed to, you know, bringing in a guy who was less than what uh, they would have thought or somebody who just, you know, has no connection to the team or whatever. Like, I feel like people are more excited about Wade Miley coming in than they were about, uh, say, Jesse Winker, even though Winker, you know, <laughs> like is, is a is a much better player and figures to have a much larger impact on the team just because Winker's coming off the down season last year. And the last time anybody remembers anything about Wade Miley, he was pitching well for the Brewers. So it it's just funny how these things work, but it's fine. I, I don't expect a whole lot out of him, but... Uh, you know, at 4.5 million. And I think depending on number of games started, it can uh, add up to 6.5. I think you can add a couple million to it depending on, on the number of starts. So we'll be interesting to see about that. But I don't know even where that's going to end up. But we have questions about that. So we can we can deal with that in due time. Well, we should also mention, too, in addition to Wade Miley, the Brewers swung a couple of minor trades in the last week. They acquired former top 100 prospect Bryce Wilson from the Pirates uh, for cash. So I don't know if that counts as a signing, if you just trade somebody for cash or not. But uh, they also traded Justin Topra to the Mariners, another trade with the Mariners, for what could be another solid bullpen option in 
Joseph Hernandez. Uh, Ryan, let's start with you. Anything interesting there for either, or are these just kind of meh moves that we'll forget about in two months? No, I think especially this Bryce Wilson move really could be something because there was a major change. He went through a pretty big change to what he was throwing um, late last year and really ditched uh, his changeup completely and added his, uh, a splitter. And that seemed to change like his, his pitch mix quite a bit. He altered things there. The results weren't immediate. Uh, he didn't have... And I mean, this all happened in September, October. So that change, uh, he went from throwing his not throwing a splitter at all the rest of the year to throwing it 18% of the time in September and then 28% of the time in the one the one appearance he had in October. So like he went from not throwing the splitter at all to it being a pretty significant part of his repertoire. And he looks like he kind of downgraded the use of the slider, was using that a lot less and completely shelved the changeup, didn't throw that at all in October. Uh, and then, yeah, so it will be interesting to see. There are also people that think that maybe the Brewers can do something in terms of helping him re-add velocity that he had lost uh, because that's a thing that they're pretty good at. They do a decent job of, of helping guys regain velocity. I don't imagine that he's going to be a guy that is going to start for them. I think they have too many people ahead of that, and we'll, you know, obviously we just added uh, uh, Miley this week, but there's other guys too who I would think would kind of be ahead of him. But I do think there's a chance that Wilson is maybe a breakout guy for the bullpen and could be a significant like one inning reliever for them because that splitter, when you have guys that have a splitter that works, that can be absolutely deadly and devastating out of the bullpen. So I'm I'm intrigued about this. I don't know how much I'm anticipating that it will happen, but I think there's a, a, a possibility here that it it could happen. So it's interesting from that perspective. Yeah, it, it, it's more like he's just one of those guys that um, I think everybody looks at and sees opportunity to just tweak a few things and you might have something. And, you know, no one other than perhaps the Rays, no one's better than that than the Brewers are. And so. It's not a big surprise. He's he's uh, getting a, a trek through Milwaukee to see if they can, fit, you know, fix him up and make him something. But it's also a spaghetti throw, as it, it always is with these things. You know, they acquire a ton of depth, and some guys they fix, and some guys they don't. But you know, it's worth hoping on, and it's not a bad idea. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I also Jay Google sent me a thing last night with pictures of the uh, the guy that they got back in exchange for Justin Topa from the uh, the Mariners. And he is a pitcher who hasn't pitched above a ball yet. He's only 22. So, like, there's lots of time for this to, to you know, still play out. But uh, um, this is Joseph Hernandez. And he, did you guys see pictures of his slider? Uh, I, I saw a couple just go by Twitter. And uh, I, you can see why you would want that guy. <laughs> right. It is, it is a Frisbee slider. That it thing is. just absolutely has incredibly wicked spin on it yep that's as much scouting as i have to offer as i saw people tweeting a slider so <laughs> yeah I, I saw the eric log and hagen uh write up of him i think it was maybe cream city prospects tweeted out that um describing him as a funky righty with that slider that's death to righties uh so you know maybe a rugi type or or somebody you could use to really uh you know neutralize those those tough right-handed pitchers assuming that we see him above a ball this year but the brewers love them some stupid human trick relievers too <laughs> you do. know fun mm -hmm. funky deliveries alex claudia is back in the organization we're just going all in <laughs> on the weird deliveries so Start, starting his wind up right now in anticipation of his first pitch of the season yeah exactly I, i'm glad you mentioned claudio because that was the other thing this this week was bringing him back i really don't anticipate him ever because he was he was signed to a minor league deal so he's not on the 40 man and i don't anticipate yeah. him finding his way onto the 40 man that's kind of a minefield at the moment like trying to to work out how guys are going to get on there i was reading it over this week and yes you still have like jason alexander on there and you know the their their uh 40 uh sorry the uh the rule five pick um from the dodgers uh varland like they still have those guys who are on the 40, but it's pretty thin as far as guys you're just like, okay, toss that guy off the 40. So the 40 is getting pretty full with 
quality players sort of up and yeah. down, which is going to be a problem at some point. And I think part of the reason that they decided to move on from Topa was they needed to clear some 40 man space. Yeah, because you've got guys like Sal Freilich and Joey Weimer who are probably going to play at the big league level this year and are going to need a 40 man spot to do that. Yep, exactly and correct. They also probably, I still feel like at some point they have to add like a right-handed outfield bat here, don't they? That still is I, their number one need. I would think so. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll keep predicting it until opening day comes and and arrives, but um, we'll see. They're, the it dwindles every day. So, but they got to do something. They they can't go in like this. When I was wondering if maybe it would be like a thing where they perhaps in camp, if they're looking at if, if Weimer and Freilich and those guys come in and they're not feeling good about them being ready to like play early, if they say, OK, we're going to we're going to start hunting in camp for guys who are maybe extra on other people's rosters. And it's surprising how much uh, you can get that way, looking at like sort of what's extra on other people's rosters. It's not as it's not as bad as it sounds the way I'm making it sound where you're just taking guys that can't make another roster. You can get some quality players that way. If you're, if you're talking to the right teams and looking at the right situations, you can do it. So I think that's another possibility. They don't necessarily have to do it in the off season. It could be something you do in camp or as camp is closing. Yeah. Also true. Yeah. I mean, Adam Duvall is still just, chilling out there right and mm -hmm. that seems like a very yeah. brewersy signing so <laughs> we'll see how long that takes uh but yeah i mean you're gonna have roster crunches in camp too like ryan said so uh as opposed to teams dfaing those guys maybe you could just throw a minor prospect their way so um and you know that the 40 man thing is a is a kind of a good problem to have you know the rays kind of have worked themselves in this situation where they need to make these minor trades a handful of them every year just to clear those spots right so maybe ryan the brewers could find themselves you know finding value that way too it would be nice to get into that situation where you truly are like like kind of pushed for 40 man spots because it means you have a good depth of talent on sort of an annual basis cleveland is really it, like more than anybody right now, they are in a huge 40-man crunch because they have so much talent at the major league level that's young, at the minor league level that's young. They're just, they're sort of bursting at the seams with talent. And there are people that will tell you that, like, there's a good chance that Cleveland is the number one farm system after this year. Right now, it's the Orioles because they have, you know, some really high-end top-end talent, but that's about to graduate. And there are people that will tell you Cleveland is going to be the top farm system going into next year and that's think about them having the best young roster in baseball like they're sorry they had the youngest roster in baseball this year they were in the playoffs and they might have the top farm system going like yep. what they've done is truly truly remarkable and they did it by bottoming out at 80 wins yeah it's just insane what they managed to pull off here you, you just don't see this the Lindor trade really worked out for them very nicely. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, we got plenty of questions about Wade Miley and and the rest of the rotation. So let's just get to it. As we mentioned, patrons get first dibs here. And we have Mark Podscarby leading things off this week. Uh, his question here is, with the signing of Wade Miley, I've seen a lot of speculation about a six-man rotation. I understood that in 2021, coming off the COVID season to limit innings, but now wouldn't that just take away starts from our top pitchers to give them to worse pitchers? Uh, <laughs> Paul, let's start with you. Yeah. The short answer to that is yes, but the long answer to that is the Brewers are just very, very interested in load management. Um, it, uh, it's caught on. It, it, the NBA were, were the pioneers, but uh, pitchers especially starting pitchers have been worked less and less and less over as time has gone on in an effort to both extend their careers, increase their effectiveness when they are pitching. And the brewers have, you know, toyed with this on and off for a long time. And, you know, it's not that like a strict six man rotation, it's more that they're just creative about uh, making use of their off days and then having some other pitcher to go when they don't happen to have off days. And that's really what that pitcher is more than anything. Um, so, like, the more guys that they have that can step in and be starters and maybe maybe throw something in the bullpen every once in a while, um, they just like to have that because even on those, like, six-man days, um, they won't always use, like, a, a starter starter. They'll go up, like, three innings of 
Suter and three innings of some other guy or three innings of Freddie or some nonsense. And um, these are like, they like to have guys like this just for that purpose. So um, yeah, in theory, in a vacuum, you'd like to have Orban Burns pitching more, um, but you also want him to be pitching at his optimal level and uh, having him go less frequently and being able to, you know, offer bullpen support for shorter outings is, is their MO these days. It seems to work. Yeah. And what we're talking about here is sort of a modified six man. You alluded to it a little bit there, but we're talking about on days when you don't have when you get into those stretches where you're playing 15 straight days without an off day. Those are the stretches when you would start really employing the six man rotation when you have off days aplenty, especially that seems to happen a lot early in the season, uh, especially in April. There's like just a lot of off days sort of built into the calendar you wouldn't do it as much at that point because there's just no need. But you, I think in 2021, basically what they did was, I think it was, it was only one or two guys made starts on four days rest. They were trying to make yeah. sure everybody was starting on five days rest as opposed to four. And that is still normal rest. Like four to five days rest is the normal amount of rest for a four man rotation or sorry, a five man rotation. It's the normal rest. So I think that it's more of a modified uh, six-man that way. But there are a lot of different ways this can go. And I think that if you are trying to keep everybody productive and healthy for a full season, there's an advantage to it. And there is – because, yes, the question is, okay, doesn't that just, like, take away starts from the top pitchers? Well, if they are, they stay healthy all year, yes. But if they're not healthy all year, well, then it gets trickier right away, right? Yeah. So if this is a way to manage injuries, and to be very frank about this, we don't know. Jeff Passan wrote a great book called The Arm, trying to understand like why it is pitchers get hurt. What is what is breaking pitchers down? And it's it's fantastic, but it's mostly just ends up with a giant shrug emoji at the end going. We still don't really know. We we don't have a good handle on what what keeps pitchers healthy and what doesn't, except that they have managed to to uh, make the issues tend away from the shoulder now somewhat and more towards the elbow, which is good because shoulder injuries are much worse for pitchers than elbow injuries. Elbow things are generally fixable, almost always fixable, whereas shoulder things are often not fixable. Not yeah, right. It, those are the real problems. See Jimmy Nelson's career. You know, see Ben Sheets's career, like when the shoulder goes, you you start to really have problems. So, yeah, it's it is a trade off, but I think that they are willing, obviously, because they did it in 2021, they're willing to entertain this. And I think that the, the most important thing here is that they're just they're giving themselves lots of options and they're they're increasing the depth that they have on the roster so that they don't have to worry as much. Jason Alexander, even though he's still on the 40, is a lot further from starting games for the Brewers right now than he was last year. And that's good. That's what you want. You don't want Jason Alexander starting if you can help it. <laughs> and that's why you go and sign Wade Miley. Um, I, I do think on the six-man rotation idea, too, this, this might just be anecdotal, but I keep going back to Corbin Burns, right? Because he had a Cy Young year in 2021, largely pitching in that six-man, modified six-man uh idea but then the brewers ran into a bunch of injuries last year he had to pitch on a five-man rotation schedule a lot more frequently was still very good but he wasn't excellent right and that kind of affected the brewers playoff chances too right like paul or ryan whoever wants to jump in uh like does does that weigh into it too because the brewers are really built on you know burns and woodruff have to be at max capacity or max uh, effectiveness to really push them to the top of the division it is absolutely and like they know where their bread is buttered here and this is a team built on their top level starting pitching and and their bullpen um but uh, they don't really plan for the i mean they do plan for the playoffs but part of the idea of winning a championship is to have your starting pitchers your studs be as effective when the playoffs roll around as they were at the start of the season 
Uh, and, you know, if you've got to do a crazy push, which the Brewers often do to get into the postseason in the first place, you need to be careful over the course of the season to make sure that they have the juice left to do it and they're not all worn out by the time they get there. So that is absolutely a part of it. Um, a, a lot of teams are clawing and scratching. And, you know, think about what we, what we do with CC. Uh, this is the perfect counterexample of this, like CC Sabathia, when he was a brewer, uh, pitched as much as humanly possible mm-hmm. just to get them in the playoffs. Uh, but it cost them in the playoffs. It absolutely did. Um, you know, pushing him that hard um, and all of their pitchers that hard to get there. Um, it, it's a, you know, it was a problem once the playoffs actually rolled around. So um, you, you need to take a long and a short view to make this happen. You do need to make the playoffs. But if you're going to actually win the championship, you need your guys uh, as rested as possible when you get there. Yeah, and there's a thing, too, here where you can build up to this. You can, down the stretch of the season, if you're in contention, if you're, you're like, fighting for the division, but you're kind of already in the playoffs and something, you can start shortening your rotation a little bit, make sure that Burns is starting every fifth day, also just to kind of get him ready for the playoffs because you're going to want him starting every fifth day as opposed to every sixth day once you get to that point in the playoffs. But... And and getting back to your point, James, that you made also, like, I wouldn't say that there's like a causal relationship there. We don't know that Burns was, you know, better in 2021 because he right. had that extra rest. It's totally anecdotal. Yeah. But well, and, and we just don't know if it's a causal relationship or it's just a thing that happened because it wasn't like he was bad in 2022, as Steve was pointing out on last week's show. Like, Burns was not a bad pitcher last he was year. Not. Absolutely he, was, not. he was one of the top 10 pitchers of baseball. He just wasn't at that next level the way he was in 2021 and so i think that you know taking it easy on the pitchers especially early and being able to to rotate through and maybe give guys some rest like if if a guy is looking like hey he looks like he's maybe a little exhausted maybe he's going through a little bit of a dead arm phase having miley there allows you to be able to say, okay, we're just going to sit this guy down for 15 days and let him take a a breather uh, a lot easier than if you were looking at, say, handing those starts to Jason Alexander. Like it, it gives you the feeling that you can, you can be flexible and you can be really cautious. And that is one thing that has marked the brewers under Stearns, Arnold and council is that especially early in the season, if there's anything wrong, and this goes for pitchers or position players, it's like straight to the IL with you. You go, you go rest. We need you for the long haul of the season. We're not going to push you early in the season. And that I think often has a lot to do with why like the Brewers IL gets crowded in May. <laughs> and it, this has sort of been a recurring theme that it, it crowds up in May. And I think it's because a lot of guys are starting to feel, you know, the, the, the dings and the bumps and the bruises and just the, the soreness of starting to really dig into a, a long major league season. And the team is perfectly happy to say, we're playing this thing for 162. You guys just take a breather and we'll we'll hold down the fort while you're getting back to full health. And then we'll be better off for it when you come back. Definitely. All right. uh, A few more questions here about the rotation we should get to. Next one comes from Jay Google asking, what's the plan for the rotation? Does Ashby go to the pen? Does Hauser go to the pen? Does Lauer go to the pen? Also, with Wilson going back to his previous pitch mix, do you think he finds some success that made him a top prospect? Ryan, you kind of touched on that last part already, but I guess uh, how do you see the the top five, even if the six man is the idea here shaking out? So Lauer's a starter. Lauer's in the rotation unless he like falls flat on his face and his stuff is bad in camp or something. He's going to be a starter for this team. So I you take him out of the mix here. I think the the other two is a valid discussion to have. Yeah. And I, there's there's the short term and there's the long term, because it is certainly tempting to say you could see Ashby going to the bullpen and being really, really good there. Uh, not having to to turn the lineup over multiple times, him coming in and just like dominating for it, maybe in the way that Josh Hader did it in you know 2017, 2018, where he would come in maybe you know three times every ten days and would give you like you know fifty pitches, and he could really be a weapon that way for this year. Yeah, but in two years, the Brewers 
uh, starting rotation situation is going to be very different. And at that point, you're really going to want him to have gone through the development of becoming a starting pitcher and to, to, to be that guy because you're going to need starters in two years. It's less of a problem now. It's coming. And so I'm very torn about this because I could see the advantage <laughs> of going like, let's just turn him into Josh Hader. I could see the advantage of that. But the long term on it is a lot sketchier. Yep. And I think that's likely what ends up happening just because it's harder for me to imagine them deciding to put Hauser in the pen of their own volition. It be, just because I do feel like they they don't tend to push former starters to the pen because they're not good enough to start. I feel like they really do seek upside in the pen there. And I think Ashby's likely to wind up there for that reason. Hauser's not, not you know, he can be a good starter occasionally. I don't think he gives you that much out of the pen. He's fine as a rookie once in a while, but that's not that useful. Um, the other thing, first of all, this situation might just work itself out with injuries and off days and not off days with injuries and people being unavailable and stuff like that. So I think mm -hmm. the Brewers, when they do this kind of thing, that's what they're thinking. The second thing is, um, I do think in the back of their minds, you do need a little bit of Freddie insurance too. Um, because while I'm sure they, they obviously want him to start, sometimes that doesn't work with Freddie and in any given season. And if you end up having to make a, a more momentous decision to maybe push him to the pen, you have a backup plan for that too. I don't think they want to do that. But uh, I, I would be thinking about it with Freddie uh, on that line, too. So it's better to have more guys who can eat innings. If you if you want to dump a bunch of guys into the bullpen to have a super great bullpen, you can do that. And especially early in the season, I could see some piggybacking going on here where they're still building guys up and, and getting them to uh, uh, a full workload. And I think you could especially see that with Ashby because he still hasn't had a season where he's like, you know, been 150 inning guy. So there's still like a buildup in the process going on with him and also with Freddie, because he's coming off the injury last year. They probably are going to want to handle him, you know, carefully early. So I could see them getting very creative early in the season, you know, piggybacking any number of these guys, honestly, you know, between Ashby Hauser, uh, Wade Miley. Uh, uh, yeah, all these guys, I could see any of them being piggybacked with each other to sort of just allow them to uh, to to keep the, the workload down early in the season for guys where they're they're trying to, you know, sort of ease them in and make sure that they they keep the number total number of innings pitched down. Yeah. And I mean, this is why we talked about the need for a six starter or a, a free agent starter being signed, frankly, right, is to kind of balance all of these factors together. All right, next question comes from Adam Post saying, who starts more games for the Brewers next season, Hauser or Miley? Paul, kind of a spinoff of this. It's a great question mm -hmm. um, because I do not have a solid answer for it, and it'll probably come down to factors that we can't predict, things like injuries and even effectiveness. Like on any given season, Wade Miley, if you just go and look at Wade Miley's career, he's very inconsistent. He bounces around from unplayable to, frankly, dominance. Um, and Hauser is a kind of different level where you know, occasionally he misses a ton of bats and he gets a lot of right-handed lineups and he looks as good as anybody, but he is also occasionally unplayable. Um, so, and, and uh, also Wade Miley, just he's unavailable for whole seasons at a time. And then he comes out and he throws 160 innings. So I have no idea if I had to put money down right now, I would take Hauser, but I would feel very non-confident about it. And uh, I would not make that bet if I wasn't forced to, it, it could go either way. Yeah, 100% correct on all of that. If you look at Wade Miley's season by season, you're looking at uh, ERA plus. So in terms of uh, uh, being above and below average, where 100 is average, anything better than that is is above. Here he is by season since uh, since 2017, if you look at it that way. In 2017, 77. 2018, 159. <laughs> With the Brewers. In 2019, 116. In 2020, 88, 139 with Cincinnati last or in 2021. Last year with the Cubs, 131. Like he yep. has been actually pretty good. It's yes. just that in terms of innings, uh, last year the Cubs only got 37 innings out of him. Cincinnati, wow, he pitched 163 innings for Cincinnati at a 139 ERA plus in yeah. 2021. He was real good. Yeah. 
so, my favorite my favorite Wade Miley thing also really quick is on his savant page uh, for fastball velocity. He is a one percenter. He is a, <laughs> yes, love you it. Don't, you, you don't see the one pop up on savant very often, but he, it does for him. Yeah. Um, and then the thing is too, if you look at Hauser, like he's had some really good seasons where, you know, like in, since he became sort of a full-time big league pitcher and was pitching in the big leagues, um, on a regular basis in 2019, he goes from 120, so 20% better than league average down to 86 in 2020, back up to 128 in 2021 and down to 83 last year like he really does kind of bounce all over the place so i i totally echo what paul says here i have no idea flip a coin like it probably really (laughs) does come down to health for these two like more than anything it probably just comes down to health and both of them have had health concerns in recent years like miley missed a ton of time last year and hauser was uh obviously missed a bunch of time last year as well like it really probably just does come down to health more than anything. Yeah, sure. Next Wade Miley question comes from Logan Inderdahl asking, how are the Brewers able to sign a three-game NLCS starter like Wade Miley for such a cheap deal? <laughs> He's only four years removed from starting three games in a championship series. Uh, this is my favorite part of the Wade Miley thing, Paul. So the answer is that uh, with the introduction of the DH, that his hitting is not valuable anymore. So he comes in <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, Wade Miley sure has a weird career. I'm looking at this, and I I have to admit, I knew he had had effective seasons since leaving the Brewers. <laughs> I didn't realize a 139 ERA really plus in, yeah. in 163 innings in 2021. My God, that's really good stuff. Yeah. T- that's taking, the Derek Johnson effect with the taking cutter, the right? question, yeah, taking the question more at face value. I think a lot of the reason Wade Miley is freely available all the time is that he shouldn't work. Uh, if you're just buying guys on peripherals and you know background radiation stats, like which most teams do, you don't trust Wade Miley. But there's enough track record here that when he is right, when he's healthy, he is actually a really good pitcher. <laughs> it's just that there's there's not a good reason it should actually work this way. Yeah, 100%. It is absolutely bizarre that he is as good as he is with the stuff that he has. But there's also just a long history of pitchers being like that. Guys outplaying their stuff, especially these guys that do this in the rotation. His type specifically is of the type where if anything goes a little bit wrong, you become garbage instantly. And you see that with Wade Miley, too. Like any any little injury that robs him of any deceptiveness or anything like that, he gets he gets hit hard. Yeah, it, so it's it's certainly interesting and worth uh worth the uh the shot here because they aren't giving up much money to try this and presumably he's okay with, you know, the Brewers. He knows Craig Council and he knows that Council will use him creatively and get him out there and, you know, hopefully try to keep him healthy for a while and he gets to stick around in the big leagues for another year at age 36. Yeah, I it's one of those things where it's hard to get excited about, but in June or July, we're going to be looking back and he'll have a 320 ERA and we're like, hey, that worked out great. I don't know. Which is actually a really good time to point out that, uh, and I'm guilty of this too. I did this on Twitter as well because somebody was like, hey, Toronto should try to trade for uh, for Adrian Hauser. And I'm like, yes, give us three 19-year-old pitchers and we'll do it. <laughs> and like, yes, that... I, I I say that, and I'm not totally uh, uh, unserious about it, but I also realize that like the whole reason they're doing this is because they have had pitching depth issues. They had a pitching depth issue last year, and it really helped sink their season, and they're trying to avoid that. So trading away your pitching depth is probably counterproductive to what they're trying to accomplish this year, and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Sure. Well, speaking of pitching depth, Tom Haidt is asking, have the Brewers checked in on Yolis Chassin, or are they waiting to hear back from an offer on Randy Wolf? <laughs> I was surprised to see that Chassin actually pitched last year for, yes, the, for the Rockies very, yes. very poorly. I think, mm. think he's probably done. Yeah. He hasn't had under a 70 RA in a while. Actually, that's not true. He did in 2021, but uh, there's lots of 70 RAs on that guy lately. 
Yeah. Now, Randy Wolf has been retired for quite a while. Like, he, <laughs> he hasn't pitched since 2015. So, <laughs> Randy Wolf. But we should mention his brother was part of that big group of umpires that retired. Did you guys catch this? That uh, MLB had, it was close to 10 umpires retiring uh, this year. No, I did not see that at all. And it is related to the fact that a lot of these guys, almost all of them, broke into the majors as umpires after the umpire strike in 1999. Mm -hmm. And so there was like, after that happened, there was this whole new generation of umpires that all came in as a glut. Cause usually they sort of come in by dribs and drabs mm -hmm. an umpire two retires in an off season. And then, you know, they're replaced by another umpire or two. And so yep. you don't get like this big cohort of guys all coming through at the same time. He was part of this group that all came up at the same time after that strike and so, yeah, Jim Wolf is uh, is one of the guys who's uh, who's taking off. And if you look at the the list of guys who are leaving, uh, Ben Lindbergh talked about this on Effectively Wild. If you look at the list of all the guys who are retiring, none of them was even particularly close to being league average at calling balls and strikes. Mm -hmm. And that's because well, most of the guys who came in and from that generation, one didn't grow up with like having their their strike zones being monitored on like a an, a start by start basis and right. they had to adjust to that over time. And so they came up in an era where guys, it was okay to have their own strike zones, not in an era now where it's not okay to have your own strike zone. You have to call the rule book strike zone. So yeah, this, this group of guys, it is quite possible that we're going to see a, a significant jump in the accuracy of ball strike calls next year as a result of this. So really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It is kind of interesting to see what effect this is going to have. All right. Real quick. Uh, something else we should touch on this week that that came out in the last week. PJ Westell is asking about zips projections. Uh, he says, as of this writing, it does not include Miley, but I'm not sure that would contribute that much. Prove me wrong, Wade. Uh, <laughs> what surprised you in them? What didn't? Is Rowdy going to be the OPS leader again? Rudfro and Wong are gone after being higher than Rowdy last season. So, uh, guys, wh what are your first impressions of the, the Zips projections over at Fangraphs? Paul, let's start with you. It's really, they make sense. There's nothing so There's nothing that surprising in the Zips projections, which is fine. Uh, that's how it should be most of the time. Uh, and, and Rowdy probably will be. We've uh, talked a lot about him as benefiting from the shift rules. And, you know, Rowdy's a good hitter. It's just that he's a portly first baseman and loses value by position and other reasons um but like there's nothing crazy here. i think the thing that actually surprises me every time it happens is how much projection systems generally and zips in this instance think of Luis Arias, who is projected with it for a 2.7 war um and as the second most valuable hitter on the team which is which is a lot <laughs> so but, but that's really it everything else just makes a lot of sense keston has his issues as he always does um jesse winker projects to have a very good hitting profile but lose a lot on defense this all this is all just very logical so i i was not surprised by zip's projections at all they jive with what i think of the team so within some of the numbers you pointed out like the winker thing that surprised me was the 418 slug I think he's going to you're going to do better than that. I think he's going to be a more powerful hitter than that. Okay. And that partly is because they have him down at 245 for a batting average. And that's actually really low. Jesse Winker has tended to be a pretty good batting average hitter throughout his career. So 245 is a pretty big haircut for him to be taking. And he's probably also going to benefit some from not being uh, teams, not being able to pull the extreme shift on him. True, anymore. true. Because he's that kind of, you know, a left-handed power hitter. That's the those are the guys you look at more than any as being the ones who benefit from changing over the the rules here. But yeah, I I don't think there was anything like super surprising there. Uh, Urias being you know two point seven in terms of WAR projected is fine. Like last year he was over two. The year before he was, he was over two. So yep. like this isn't projecting him to be like a much better player than he was in the past. It's just. You know, I, I think everybody's always surprised at how good Urias actually is compared to what his uh, the, the perception of him is. Yeah, I think if you look over on the pitching side, there's some really interesting things in terms of um, in terms of like just how many of their guys are projected to be at or above league average in terms of run prevention. And yeah, yeah some of these guys are no longer on the team. Luis Perdomer, Luis. Ah. 
Luis Perdomo, uh, Yandel Gustave, some of these guys were projected to be a little bit better um, ERA plus wise than league average, and they're no longer on the team. Luke Barker yep. is in that group, but they still have like 12 guys here that that are going to be on this team that are considered league average or better in terms of run prevention. It by by projections and some of them obviously Devin Williams, Brandon Woodruff, Corbin Burns, like these guys are significantly better than league average. So really, the pitching is projected to, and we've talked about this a lot. Zips is projecting the pitching to bounce back in a huge way off of last yeah. year's disappointments. They are they are saying that the Brewers are one of the best. Uh, pitching staffs in baseball again after last year, you know, being 16th in terms of runs allowed per game. Yep. So that is that is big. There is one interesting thing here I do want to call your attention to. They're projecting Brandon Woodruff to be better than Corbin Burns next year yes, in terms of are. run prevention. <laughs> that jumped out at me. I was like, ooh, that's kind of a spicy take. Uh, and it's not by much. They have Woodruff at a 139 and Burns at a 137. But I think everybody, if you were to ask Brewers fans who's the better pitcher, you would get Burns almost every single time, including me. I would say Burns is the better pitcher right now. But yeah, Zip sees uh, some, you know, maybe some downside in Burns and a little upside in, in Woodruff from where they've been in recent years. So that's, I find that pretty interesting. It, it, it's minor enough that it almost, you know, is a rounding error. And they do project Burns for a higher war and more availability, which is, more I think, yeah. I think interesting also projecting him as being more available than Woodruff, but um, they're, they're so close. It's, it's, it's really a, a very small difference between the two of them. Yeah. Did you guys look at the comps, especially the batters? Those are always fun with Dan. Yeah. He has yeah. fun with those. Yeah. yeah. The rowdy, his top comp for age. This is by age. Justin Morneau. Yes. And, and then Kent Herbeck. Yeah. And Tino <laughs> Martinez. So like that. Yeah. That's a quite the uh, the positive one. On the other side, Dexter Fowler is the number one cop for Christian Yelich. That's a yikes. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. Robbie Grossman, number three. <laughs> Look down at Garrett Mitchell. Who's the number one cop for Garrett Mitchell? That one really was. It was like, whoa. <laughs> Ken okay. Griffey, senior, I'm assuming. I'm assuming. Yes. Not junior. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, Mike Brasso has some Brewers throwbacks on there with Junior Spivey and Joe Dillon. Yep. Cops. He nice. does. Yeah, so those are always fun to look at. Um, oh, yeah, I see Tony Graffinino showing up for Eddie Alvarez. Okay, that's fun. <laughs> um, Dan has a lot of fun with these. How about Pinky Higgins for Willie Adamas? And then Jim Morrison, I'm assuming not the door singer, number two. And then yeah. Scott Rowland, number three. <laughs> Scott Rowland, number three, yes. Willie Adamas is being comped to a should-be Hall of Famer. I God, I hope he gets over the, sense. the, the line this year. But Let's uh, move Willie to third. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's always fun. I, I want to highlight real quick, too, some of the rookies, because I know Dan mentioned it in his, his write-up, that Zips actually likes Sal Freilich better than um, Garrett Mitchell, which I guess is probably not surprising. I think we probably like Sal Freilich better than Garrett Mitchell. Yep. Uh, yep. But Zips seems to think that Sal Freilich's contact ability could play pretty well obviously still projecting him under league average ops plus wise but a slash line of 261 323 376 which you know given what the brewers had gotten out of center field last year might not be that bad so i don't know how do you think zip sees the the center field situation playing out <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think it's kind That's of weird. a grab bag it, it does seem to be grab baggy i think they think that uh, Mitchell and Freilich and Tyrone Taylor are all going to get time there. Yeah. yeah. Long term, I think the answer is Freilich, that he is the highest upside guy, the most likely to, to actually stick there. And if you want to like project many months from now, who's likely to be the everyday starter, um, Freilich's probably your best bet. But they're going to, before we get to that point, there's a lot of uncertainty and a whole bunch of guys you can plug in. So, yep. Yeah. That's it. Absolutely. Um, I We're going to dive into projections a lot more later this offseason as more come out, too. So definitely go over to Fangraphs, check out Dan's uh, projections there. Always fun. One last yep. Patreon question this week uh, comes from Luke Croy's suitcase. For some reason, the Brewers signing Alex Claudio made me think of the Todd Coffee running entrance. That's an interesting uh, thought experiment or, or, you know, first association. What are some of your favorite Brewers relief entrances? Paul, let's start with you. Oh, I... 
I don't like reliever entrances. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Um, Not about the Hell's Bells or Enter Sandman or anything? So, um, part, Enter Sandman's fine because um, he's awesome. And Hell's Bells, by the time we had it in Milwaukee, was... I, I think underwhelming mm-hmm. sure. <laughs> and and uh, he was not up to that anymore but it, I, it's it's just very cartoonish and I don't like saves and uh, often <laughs> uh, like unless you are like a really like if Hater honestly should have a better entrance than he did because uh, he is super duper awesome but most of the time the brewer reliever is just a guy who happens to be pitching the ninth inning and like I, I don't need uh, I'm struggling to think of my least favorite brewer closer at the moment, which is good for my brain to not have him in there anymore. Um, but like Dan Kolb doesn't need an intimidating entrance to come into the game. That's that's silly. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Even Jeremy Jeffress, who I like, um, you know, he's not intimidating people. You, we don't need. Uh, so I don't. I'm not a fan of it. I don't like it. Uh, guys aggressively running in is fine. Like I like that better than like a song playing. But yeah, I don't. I don't really have one because I'm just bothered by it. Wow. Paul hates fun. Ryan, what about you? I do. I hate fun. <laughs> uh, you know, like I recency bias on this, but like I just want like a banger of a song when somebody comes in or something that makes me laugh. So like having Brent Suter warming up to the Jurassic Park theme. Awesome. Yes, that's fine. fine. Yes. Okay. Yeah. When you had Trevor Gott coming into Immigrant Song this year, like that is a banger, especially for like a relief pitcher song. So that's awesome. Like, I very much like that. But yeah, the guys who run in, I'm trying to think who else did the run in from the bullpen thing, because it wasn't just coffee. Coffee is just the one who it was most funny because it was the ultimate warrior theme. And it was it was great. Yeah. Well, and he also just like looks like me like he's a huge human being. Like he's a massive (laughs) dude. So like, yes, that's uh, that is kind of funny to watch that happen. But yeah, I don't know. It. Relievers should all come in in the bullpen car, right? Like the the yes. bullpen car for major league. Like yes, that that should be how that works. So, yep, eh, whatever, it's it's fine. I don't I don't hate fun quite as much like Paul does, but like, yeah, I mostly I just want to see him get out and then they can go away. I just want guys to be unique and original, right? There's too many like generic, crappy hard rock songs that I can't distinguish. But like when you have Edwin Diaz come in with the trumpets, that's cool to me. I like yes, that. That's fair. Be original. Be fun. All right. Uh, one Twitter question this week, and uh, it's basically about Ryan's Twitter feud of the week. Um, Allspurge, <laughs> Allspurge asking, how will the Brewers ever challenge the Cardinals, the NL Central favorites, for the next three to five years? Are the Cubs the division's only savior, Ryan? um do you want to get into your little beef here yeah it's it's stupid and childish as steve pointed out to me when we were hanging out in person yesterday like yeah this is stupid and childish and it is but also like there was a sort of dismissiveness this this all stems from Derek gould was on fangraphs audio and was asked sort of leading questions about like well the cardinals are the best team in the division right now and but what does it look like for the next three to five years? And Gould had some comments where he basically said, yes, they're the best team in the division. They're the, they're the ones that everybody's chasing over the next three to five years. And can, you know, the Cubs finally spend up to the the level of being that good? And then was like mentioned the Brewers as being a team that maybe could like challenge them this year. But, you know, long term, no. And so it was just kind of dismissive and kind of, you know, BFIB in the way that, like, you know, those things go. And I don't know. It just was it was just them being very uh, cardinal centric and not it, it seemed to betray a lack of understanding for the fact that the Brewers have actually been better than the Cardinals over the last five years and that they did that in such a way that, like, it should be fairly sustainable because they're just really well run and make a lot of good moves. And also, and he did mention a little bit in here that like the Cardinals are have a problem with pitching and you're damn right. They have a huge problem with pitching. Their best pitchers are like in their mid to late thirties. It's Adam Wainwright and Miles Michaelis. And they're both like 35 and up. And Jack Flaherty has been hurt for like three years straight. Yeah. Right. Jack Flaherty's been hurt and they do have some prospects. There are some guys who can potentially step in, but like Matthew Libertor is more of a middle to back end starter. And they also just like payroll wise, they're kind of already towards the top end. 
And on the hitting side, yes, they do have some good young power hitting prospects, but they all have contact issues. Jordan Walker, Nolan Gorman, these guys all have some contact issues. And their their team last year was really built around having two like seven win studs in the lineup. And that's Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado, who are 35 and 32 years old. So the Cardinals are an aging team. They're not a team that is built for like you look at that roster and you don't go, oh, yeah, this is set up for the long term. This is not you're not looking (laughs) at Cleveland here. They're not built around a bunch of young players. They're old and they're expensive. And yes, they have some young players, but not it's not like this bumper crop of of a next generation. So just thinking that the the Cardinals were like in the pole position for the next five years is like it's some BFIB arrogance. You say that now, but just wait until they end up with Fernando Tatis Jr. on like a really cheap trade deal or something oh. and that extends their window for another 10 years. Don't don't speak it into existence, James. <laughs> that's, that's the last thing we need. His dad knows the Cardinal way. That's all I'm saying. All right. All right. You're making me nauseous. I know. That's a great note to end on. So before we go this week, thanks for the questions, everybody. Uh, And a reminder, you can get question priority over at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate, two bucks a month. And even if you're not a patron, you can support us a different way. Leave a review for the aura rating for this podcast. Uh, on Apple Podcasts. Paul will read literally anything you write in the review if you give us five stars. And we finally got the PJ Fleck one off the top of the list, Paul. And thank you so much uh, from In The Biz, who gave us a five-star review. Go to Brewers Podcast. This review is to remove the PJ Fleck review because no one wants to see that. In all seriousness, this podcast rocks and it's very well done week in and week out. Keep up the good work, lads. Also, shout out to the old man on a bike in Sherlington. Yes! <laughs> Seconded. Everybody Love loves the old man on a bike in Sherlington and all of the references that everybody makes to him every week. Yes. We don't play favorites with our patrons, but he's definitely in the top five there <laughs> on the football side. I look forward to that in the football podcast every week. So, uh, patreon.com slash tailgate. Two bucks a month. You can join the old man on a bike in Sherlington and get question <laughs> priority. Uh, and uh, you can also, don't forget to subscribe. Hit the follow button on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, wherever else you listen to your podcast. Do it for us. Do it for reporting as eligible. Uh, that'll do it for this week. Put good vibes out in the universe for the Packers as we <laughs> watch later today on, on Sunday. And uh, hopefully there's a playoff game to talk about next week. So Paul will have that over on the football side. In the meantime, we'll be back next week here on the Walkies Tailgate.